This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Keeping hey. me waiting. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of EMS 2020. Spencer, uh, my name is Chris. That is Spencer. Chris, uh, Hello. No, wait, hang on. I almost asked Chris how Chris was doing, and 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 I'm Chris. So, I guess <laughs> wow, I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you're doing I'm great. Doing great. Maybe this is the time where I finally determined that you're not necessary. It can just be me having a conversation with myself, and my ego has now come full circle to where I'm just going to eliminate you completely. <laughs> and like I mean, uh, it would, it would free up my vacations. Which, by the way, if you hear as if you as the audience hear birds and like a river <laughs> in the background, that's uh, that's because I'm doing this while on vacation. This is not a uh, joke. He is literally he sent me a picture that maybe we should post on social media of a lawn chair out by a creek in a forest with a microphone and a laptop on it. And I'm just that, that was my first setup, by the way, until I realized I don't have Wi-Fi calling. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I'm scrambling to fucking <laughs> like, shamble this together. It was great. So Spencer's yeah. in a cabin. This is how much we care about this show, by the way. We're sacrificing vacations just to be with you guys. Fun fact, I actually got to uh, go work on an ambulance again. It's been a while. Um, wow. And I, yeah, no, I was excited. It was fun. I got to like, you know, start IVs and lead assessments and all of that uh i do have to call myself out uh on one thing uh we had forget one patient sugar? no i i did check i did check those uh <laughs> good job it was good yeah no I, I felt great uh no uh so we had a guy who's laying down he's you know uh mechanism of injury whatever we're, we're going through the assessment and uh i hit the auto cuff and it gives me a perfectly normal pressure and uh i cycle it again there's really no change in the patient and it comes back low and uh and i'm just like well that's not a real number and so the first thing i do is fucking cycle it again i'm like all right let's give me a real number i don't like that one so you did exactly um, what we say to not do on this yeah, show no, totally uh, yeah absolutely man I, <laughs> I just, uh, which uh my partner for the day uh also called me out on and i was like yep nope i totally did that that, that, has uh, been that the was problem. a thing that happened because i have worked with so um Thanks to you guys, our our show does get quite a few listens, and it's getting to the point where some people, not a lot, but you know, like some people tend to recognize us, and every now and again, we get to work with people who also listen to the show, <laughs> and I just want to point out, we point out these things that are problems that people do, because uh, we also do them. We're, we're not perfect. This is how we know. This is how we know these mistakes are out there. Yeah. Is because we've walked into their cobwebs that we have just walked into we, yeah, over and over. Yeah, again. we yeah. we make them as well. But I tell you what, yeah. having a podcast where you correct other people's mistakes puts a lot of pressure when you're not when you're out <laughs> in the field. Um, it's true. Uh, oh, uh, speaking of pressure, man, uh, I heard a phenomenal pushback that I'm actually going to present to you okay. right now. Is it a pushback um, on something against something that, I've said? 
it is a pushback against something you said. And oh. I don't know what episode because it's a really long one. And at first I was like, ah, fuck off. But ah, I'm compelled. And so I present to you this. It was you made a comment about a uh, manual blood pressures having to be like, you're like, don't fucking tell me a, a, like a an odd number like you're not good enough to read in between the lines um (laughs) it sounds like something i would say no exactly and i I, I feel like passionate about it now but you know me in the moment sometimes (laughs) so i don't get passionate about things dude i hear you i um we are the same in that way no so my partner uh on the ambulance goes like hey it's you know what like fucking bring on the odd numbers because they're probably just about as accurate as the even numbers are like you can't tell me for sure that that little uh you know the manometer like stopped exactly on this number that's true Uh, he's like he's like you know what if it's an odd and it's close enough like you tell me how that's not exact he's like they're basically the same and i that is a compelling argument. I'll, and, uh, I'll push I, back. I, I, okay. All right. I'll, I'll push back. I, I'm excited to hear what your pushback is because I, I <laughs> had some, but it's not based on like, well, no, the even numbers are more exact. Like that's, you know, like that's what we have to go on. Yeah. So I want to hear yours. Mine is this. If you're giving me an odd number, you're not giving it to me because you think the needle fell in between the two even numbers. You're giving it to me because you're not really looking at what's on the you're not really looking at the hashes. That's why you're giving it to me. <laughs> that you're not sitting there thinking like shit that definitely was between 122 and 124, so I'm going to say 123. You're giving it to me because you didn't actually take the time to realize that the hashes are even. That's why you're giving it to me. Now, that I- being said, he is 100% right. It clean, it, it doesn't yeah. matter. As as long cuz what it actually probably comes from is it comes from someone looking at that monitor uh, or looking at that manometer and looking at the the gauge and seeing yeah. the needle bump halfway between 120 and 130 and saying 125. That's what it comes from. So oh, yeah, he, no he, that's a valid point. Yeah. Yeah, he is 100% right. He's 100% right in so much that it doesn't matter. Someone just didn't take the time to realize that they're even hashes and they can only be an even, you can only tell if it's, even, it's an even number. What what I said is that it, I, my pushback was that it uh, triggers the, you know, like humans have a tendency to believe that odd numbers are more exact numbers mm-hmm. um, and more specific numbers. Yeah. And we appreciate that, like, even numbers are often rounded up numbers, you know, usually in the tens, you know, but like, you know, that's so I was like, when you tell somebody like 122, I don't know. I hear that as a pot like, yeah, OK, round 122. But when you tell me 121, for some reason, I'm like, it's fucking 121, like on yeah. the dot. Like, I don't have the same tendency to approximate, like to appreciate that there's an approximate. Um, and I think that is sort of a human nature thing. I've I've seen oh, this I- referenced in other places. Um, and in other books. So I, I know I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in that. But, uh, so fun, we, what we did try and do then was we did try, like, I tried to give odd numbers. Uh, <laughs> the it entire day. It's just, it, no, I got one. I gave like one systolic number odd to a firefighter. And then I was like, and then I totally chickened out. I was like, yeah, uh, over 80. <laughs> nice. Of 81. Nice. Good yep. job, you giant weenie. Um, so. <laughs> 
Uh, really quick, though, we do have, before we get started today's call, we do have a uh, listener question slash comment on our previous episode. Uh, so in our previous episode, we had a patient that presented uh, with uh, one problem, which is a lot of our episodes, but they presented as a septic patient and ended up having a cardiac event as well. They had two things going on. And if there's one thing we've told you enough on the show is that people often have two things going on. Uh, so Sabrina Bartel writes us, they say, hey, I finished Capstone on Monday. By the way, Capstone is essentially the new name for paramedic internship. Capstone is when paramedics are released into the field, but under the supervision of a senior paramedic uh, to make sure that they know their stuff before they actually get that paramedic license. So these are paramedic students who are practicing. So uh, Sabrina writes that they finished Capstone on this most recent Monday and they just received their approval to test. They state, I was listening to this week's episode and the service I was doing my capstone with has standing orders for one to 100,000 uh, epinephrine. Do you think this patient would have benefited from one cc of that? Now, this patient was hypotensive and they did indeed need a boost. Uh, and so for those not familiar with this, epi comes in several flavors. You got one to 1,000, one to 10,000 and strawberry. Um, but- <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but recently, uh, one to 100,000 has made its way into the field uh, as a way to support blood pressure in hypotensive patients. You have to make it, though. I, I don't know of any prepackaged one to 100,000 dilution. Um, but basically what it is, is you take the one to 10,000 and you take a 10 cc uh, saline flush, which is just saline, and you push out one cc from the saline flush. So there's nine in there. And then you draw one cc of the one to 10,000 into the saline flush. And that essentially dilutes it by a factor of 10, making it one to 100,000. Um, so I think this might have helped this patient, though I'm a little bit cautious about it given the cardiac nature of this patient. So Spence, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's possible that uh, if they gave this, it like it would have helped the patient um, yeah, with the agencies that we work for. Uh, this dilution of epi is commonly used as sort of just a, like a little bump uh, to, to bridge, to get to additional pressors like uh, norepinephrine. Um, and it, you know, it really works well. Um, you, you know, and again, this patient was septic. So my initial go-to for pressure support would be fluids. Um, septic patients can sometimes take up to like three liters of volume before yeah, like we have to add pressors. Um, so, Here's my thought, though, with this particular patient, I think I would be a lot more cautious with the fluid just because we they also had a sick heart. They had the MI going um, and I would want to keep listening to lung sounds. That's you know, that's another piece of this. Um, this is one of those cases where every treatment really does seem to have kind of a downside. Yeah, it does. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, it, it might help either way. Congratulations. Sabrina on your capstone and uh, let us know how uh, your testing goes. Uh, I'm pretty sure it'll go well. Yeah. You listen to this show after all. So how, how could you exactly go wrong? Um, where we can just whiff answers going like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe bad, maybe good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, if you do not, 
please do follow us on social media. Uh, go to Facebook. If you go to Facebook, we are EMS 20 slash 20 on Instagram. We are at EMS 2020 show. And if you have a call that you would like reviewed, please email to EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. Just like frosting from today's episode did. Uh, and Ooh. you could end up. Yeah, I know a little tease there about some of the names. I think you're going to like the names this time around, uh, Spencer. Um, but okay. also, I want to remind everybody, uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook so that way you can partake in things like our Code 3 song contest that's going on right yes. now. Basically, we want you to get on our social media and tell us what you think is the best song to drive lights and sirens to. Um, please don't give us ludicrous move, bitch, get out the way. <laughs> it's already it's that, done there, it, there are 13 shifts it. of dialysis transfers we, that are coming <laughs> to people we even um, said it in the last episode please do not give us this particular one and people still did so don't give us yeah. it again <laughs> please yeah, uh no some of you people have 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 peppered in landmines uh in our song list and uh i i appreciate that you've done that um, <laughs> I, but some of you, all, like some of you, have phenomenal fucking taste. Uh, oh yeah, it's great. Some is I, great. I, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna love this. But yeah, there is going to be a prize uh, for the winner, and you can only participate in the contest by following us on social media. So please do that. And also, we should probably take a little moment to thank Amber, our social media specialist, who has been dealing with all this bullshit on our behalf just to help us out. Oh, so yeah. thank you so much, Amber, for the work that you contribute thank to you, the honey. show every. <laughs> I love you. I'm sorry. I'm spending vacation doing this. <laughs> uh amber may or may not uh, be married to spencer we'll we'll see by the time this episode airs that could change uh so uh with that we're gonna move on to today's uh today's call so i have the words today that's right the words that were brought to me uh by the junior partner who works with a more senior paramedic in a substantially busy overworked an underled system, that's their words, not mine. Uh, at the Ooh. time of this call, our storyteller has only been a paramedic for a few months, uh, but they've been an EMT basic for many years with the same agency they're now a paramedic for. So this is not uh, only the first shift, but it's also the first call that our hero has run with this particular partner. So that's always fun. Oh, man. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be exciting. Uh, let's describe this system just a little bit. And I'm going to do my best. Um, this <laughs> underled system, as they say, is an urban system with high non-stop call volume. Call types range from shootings and stabbings to what could easily be considered uh, 911 abuse. Uh, for example, I call it the AMA taxi. And this has happened to me, but apparently happens a lot here. Um, the AMA taxi is basically where someone says, hey, I have chest pain and I want to go to a hospital that's on the other side of town. And then you take them there and they get off your gurney and they leave AMA or against medical advice and they walk out the front door. Essentially, you got to use as yep. a taxi because you have to take them. And then you go to that hospital and they're like, good, now I'm in the town that I want to be. Yeah, I'm leaving because you can't hold them against their will. And so this happens. And yeah, it's uh, it's basically Oof. a free taxi yeah. for them because they give you fake information. No one's getting a bill. Nothing's getting paid for. My name is just out of service. But anyway, so the ambulance contract for this area is split between the city fire department and the private ambulance company. They both have transporting rigs. And I'm going to openly admit that I had a difficult time understanding how it is determined uh, which agency gets which call. But it sounds a little bit chaotic 
and it may be dependent upon level. So like a private ambulance company gets calls until they reach a certain level of ambul- of available ambulances, like, you know, they drop down to like level two, for example, and then the fire department begins to pick up calls. That, and then I, I think there might be some kind of location-based determinants also mentioned, like if the fire department's closer. Yeah, and I tried to suss this out and Frosting was, uh, Frosting, by the way, who's the hero of this call, was kind of like, I don't know if I can answer the questions you're asking. So that was the best I could oh, get. Um, Jesus. <laughs> right. I, I'm already lost at how this system works. Dude, I know. <laughs> it's hard. And like systems are my thing. And so I think it was just like, anyway. Uh, so that said, each call will get a fire response and an ambulance. And then, of course, police if that's necessary. So here's the call itself. Uh, let's go ahead and introduce our crew. We've already introduced Frosting. Frosting is our new paramedic that gave us the call, and they are currently posted on a busy street corner with their partner, Flower. Flower oh, has been a paramedic. I thought you were going. I thought you were going like Frosted Flakes. Like they're mm. great. No, no, no but no. You, you. Okay. No. All right. Different. No. Sorry. Go on. I'm yeah. sorry. Go on. All good, man. Okay. Flower, by the way, has been a paramedic for about six years, all with the same agency as well. It is the start of a swing shift at about 1630. I am sorry, Spencer. You're going to have to deal with an approximate time. <sighs> I'd say I'm disappointed, but uh, this is kind of the uh, level of unprofessional of, uh, unprofessionalism <laughs> I've come to expect from you. So. This is it. That of all the things I've said, this is the one that crosses the line. All right, cool. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so 1630, which is right around the time that everyone starts to head home from their normal jobs. Uh, Frosting and Flower are engaging in their normal new partner conversations. Like, you know, like, so the how long have you and what do you like to do on your kind of bullshit? Um, nice. Yep. And then the radio starts to gurgle that awful sound that it makes when work starts coming through the speakers. They both get really quiet and hold their breath, hoping the radio traffic uh, is about some faraway call that definitely won't be theirs. And Spencer, you and I have both been there. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But before they can even get to the end of the radio traffic to see if it's going to be theirs, their pagers beep and their data computer lights up. And now they know it's theirs. That or they have a transfer that's occurring at the same time. Either way. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. It is this call. So this call comes over as a rollover MVA or motor vehicle accident with possibly multiple patients. The location of the call is on Baking Sheet Street, just south of Oven Avenue. A rollover. Yes, I'm cracking myself up at this. A rollover <laughs> in the area strikes both crew members as odd because it is a slow street and there's shopping centers and strip malls like all around this spot. The speed hmm. required to roll a vehicle is not a common thing in that area. Frosting is made a little more nervous uh, when his partner, Flower, says, yeah, this is going to be fucked up. Someone is very drunk, which honestly is fair. Like, that's, you know, we all say, like, how do you roll a vehicle at uh, at a uh, on a street at that speed? Easy. You go faster than the posted speed limit. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> So Hold yeah, my beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or don't. I've got a free hand. Anyway, so um, <laughs> images of a drunk driver piling through a crowd of people flash through Frosting's head. After talking with Frosting about this call, it seems like Frosting tried to pregame on the way in with Flower, but Flower kept saying, who knows? We'll have to see. Yeah. So, Chris, you and I are all about pregaming on a call. Oh, uh, yeah. But I, 
I have to admit, like, even I find it difficult to pregame sometimes in trauma calls. Sure. Because it, it just, it isn't like a chest pain call or kind of a code where you can discuss or, like, execute a specific protocol. Just because trauma calls can be really vast in, like, their range. You know, like, it, a toe injury is a trauma call. Very and then there's, true. like, oh, fuck, like, grab their toes and the rest of their parts of bodies and we'll, like, scoop it together. And <laughs> that is like, a very we'll good see point. see what we could do. Let's see if we can fit um, the patient in a dustpan and get them off. I I think in this scenario, though, the pregame probably should focus more um, if they were going to do it on, like, hey, what's our approach in figuring this out? Um, and, like, finding out the protocols that we might need to go down. Um, a good, you know, my, my pregame for trauma calls would be, like, hey, XA... I like to use the XABC exsanguination airway breathing circulation. Cool. Uh, and I would pregame this kind of like this. Okay, when we get there, let's do a quick exam. You you focus on the bleeding first. You see the substantial bleeding. You stop it. And I'll move on to the head, assess the level of consciousness, airway, and I'll see what resources are available there. And we can kind of assign roles from there. And, you know, if we have to RSI, let's review those dosages kind of right quick before we get on scene just to keep that fresh in our head. Cool. Um, I, I would also add to if it's a weird spot for someone to roll a vehicle, it might be worth considering that there might've been a medical event preceding oh, the trauma, you know, like, cause if, you know, if people are doing really weird shit, there, there might be some reason that they're doing that. That isn't just like, Hey, hold my beer. Okay. Or like I'm a really bad driver. Uh, so yeah, that would just sort of be where I would go with this pregame. Um, yeah. Dude, I am down. That's all right. Good points. So hey, within about three minutes of being interrupted this call, Frosting can hear that a fire engine has arrived on scene and that the officer on that fire engine immediately requests a second ambulance and asks for the location of Flower and Frosting's rig. Flower tells them that they will be there within two minutes. I should point out that Frosting is the one driving at this point. Flower sitting in the passenger seat, working the radios. The fire engine on scene copies this only to ask again in about 30 seconds for an updated ETA. I am going to assume some time dilation is occurring. <laughs> so, oh no. oh, no. Yeah. No, time dilation is a real thing. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. Time dilation is when you're on scene and there's shit going on, like one second feels like an eternity. And this is, I've had this example too, where like you say, hey, I'll be there in two minutes. Great. 30 seconds later, where are you? It's like, I, I'm now one minute, 30 seconds away. Where do you think I am? Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's all. Yeah, it's it's always in the worst possible way. It's either like you you're stuck in that second that it's eternity or you're transporting to the hospital and suddenly your five minutes have just gone. And you're like, there's uh, we've only been in the back for like 30 seconds. I still have all these things to do. The perception of yeah, time anyway. never seems to work with you. That's all I'll say. So anyway, uh, so yeah, anyway. Uh, after they ask for the update ETA, they say that they will be there in about a minute and they arrive as advertised about one minute after that. Uh, the scene is nuts. It's chaotic. They see what uh, Frosting, who gave us this call, described as an audience of people around the call. They're walking through the scene. They're recording everything on their fucking phones. And <laughs> Fuck. remember, this is a busy shopping district with strip malls and lots of foot traffic. Uh, Frosting said it was very difficult to see who was involved and who was just like checking out the scene or live streaming or Snapchatting or snapbooking, whatever you guys do. Um, they see Instabook. 
This is why we hired someone, by the way, to be our social media person. <laughs> uh, they see a small pickup, like, you know, like a Toyota Tacoma sized pickup uh, on its top. There is a fire engine parked next to it and police are on scene as well. They can see a second fire engine approaching the scene from the opposite side of their ambulance, uh, from where their ambulance is approaching the scene, as the first engine radios for flower and frosting to park next to the overturned pickup. So just to kind of briefly describe the scene. So our crew navigates to where they're requested, but essentially the scene takes up about what I would say is a short city block. Uh, on a north-south running road. So the north part of the scene is cordoned off by two cop cars that let the ambulance by. The south end of the block is cordoned off by one cop car that's blocking the northbound lane. So oncoming traffic can't come in, uh, but traffic mm. can leave. There's the second fire engine is kind of making its way around on the south end. You've got the overturned pickup truck that's kind of sideways in the road and on its top, pretty much square in the middle of the block. And the first fire engine is about I don't know, 10 yards south of that truck. So uh, our ambulance goes in, they park right next to the overturned vehicle uh, and Frosting goes to get out of the ambulance. And when Frosting gets out of the ambulance, Frosting knows that police seem to be like oddly extensively present for this early in a call. There are a lot of cops already here and they are kind of questioning some people they're sort of asking others to step back but there's not a lot of order being established bystanders are still recording every single angle from their cell phones and it is hard to actually find any patience in what is a substantial mess of responders and bystanders frosting states that even though they have experienced many calls prior to this this particular scene was just nearly overwhelming. They looked around for any sign of a leader or another responder to try and get a handle on just like what needs to be done. Where do I go? And imagine being a new medic, Spencer, like walking into that shit. That's hard. Oh, That's a God. lot. Yeah. No, that would be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So frosting is then greeted by one firefighter who we're going to call eggs. Uh, <laughs> eggs tell, yeah, I'm still thinking this is funny. <laughs> eggs tells them that they have one confirmed patient that bystanders say was struck by the pickup eggs leads frosting to the patient and when frosting gets there they realize three things one the patient is really really injured two flowers missing and three they did not bring their radio with them they are oh, now yeah Wait, hold on where where's their partner <laughs> No, that's, that's yeah. You lost a partner. That's a uh, oh god. So it's you like know. you're surrounded by people. There's, there's fucking chaos. There's cops. There's firefighters like pulling you one, and then you like turn around and you're just you're like and my partners now. God, if like, we do fuck. another episode with Doctor Sites or maybe maybe the other yeah. Sites brother, I don't know if oh, that'll happen or not. But if yeah. we do another episode with Doctor Sites, we got to bring this up because he always kind of like because every call he seems to be kits. a part of. Yeah, every call he seems to be a part of with us, they always forget to bring their kits. And uh, in this case, hey, they forgot their partner. What do you think of that? Yeah, their partner's just gone. Yeah. Just watch. Yeah. Just you just hear him just like long sigh. So they are now with a sick patient working as a new paramedic with responders. They don't know. And this is what Frosting sees. They have an estimated 50 year old male on the ground supine on his back. For those not in the know, Uh, the patient is bleeding from the left ear mouth and nose the patient has sonorous respirations which is basically like saying snoring uh, and is otherwise unresponsive swelling appears Mm. evident on the left side of the patient's head and the patient is dressed in somewhat 
inappropriate clothes uh, in regards to the weather. They're wearing layers of jackets and a pair of jeans. They got thicker socks on in warm weather. It's uh, kind of the weather's more suited for like shorts and yoga pants. Um, uh, the clothes yeah. appear, okay. yeah. And so the clothes appear dirty and worn. And this kind of leads Frosting to believe that this patient might be homeless. And there's a good reason that you would think this because a lot of times when you are homeless, you really have to, I guess I would say you really have to maximize your ability to carry things. And oftentimes there's no place to store clothing. And so you just wear it all. And so that's pretty common is to have layers upon layers of clothing on when you're homeless. And that does have some medical significance is that oftentimes it can be very difficult for the homeless population to find consistent medical care with consistent physicians. And that can lead to healthcare problems or health problems going unnoticed or untreated. Yeah. The quick head to toe glance, uh, not really an assessment, just kind of looking at his head and overviewing the rest yeah. of his body, reveals notable bleeding from the right hand and a mangled left foot. The patient is not wearing shoes. Were the shoes knocked off? Because I've uh, I've seen that before. Um, maybe, but I don't know. Uh, I asked Frosting why no shoes, and Frosting's like, I don't know. Maybe they were knocked off. Maybe someone removed them. Uh, but Frosting oh. didn't get to the bottom of it. So you. You don't get to know. That's a mystery that will never oh, be solved for you. Fuck. Good luck getting some sleep tonight, mother. Flipping this table over. <laughs> <laughs> the small card table you have set outside by the creek. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> there are two firefighters now. There's eggs, which was the one that led Frosting to the scene, and also Sugar and two police officers. Sugar is holding C-spine, and Eggs is now kneeling on the other side of the patient. The only kit they have with them is their triage kit, and that contains triage tags, clipboards, some basic life support equipment like a BP cuff, pulse oximeter, bandages, some combat tourniquets, uh, oral pharyngeal airways, nasal pharyngeal airways, uh, trauma shears, and a bag valve mask. So Frosting nervously looks over their shoulder, hoping to see flower, but alas, not so lucky. All he sees is the second ambulance arriving from the south end of the scene alongside the second engine. So Spencer, you're Frosting. This is your patient. This is the equipment you have. (laughs) This is the equipment you have. What are you going to do? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess we just sort of have to commit to the, uh, fuckery that's unfolded. Um, it, you know what? Yeah. Step back, flour, eggs, and sugar are my new partners. <laughs> that's um, it. Yeah. So I think I would just, you know, continue looking at controlling for XABC. So exsanguination, airway, breathing, circulation. And from the description, some of those do need to be controlled. I'm looking at you breathing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, pretty much. I mean, at this point, you've made some errors. I mean, not necessarily you, Spencer, but, uh, you know, Frosting has made some errors. But but there's some errors that have been made that just have to be lived with, right? Like you lost yeah. track of your partner. You don't have a radio. You can't really leave this patient to be like, hang on, guys, got to go find my partner. Like that's not going to happen. Uh, so you're kind of stuck there. But the good news is, hey, C-spine's being held at least. Sugar's on that. There's bleeding present, but there's not enough going on to cause hypovolemia. And even if there was, it seems to be primarily be coming out of the face holes, which you can't like... You can't tourniquet the neck. So, so don't. <laughs> you can, but it will be your last day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's your last day at work. And maybe your last free day. Uh, because <laughs> Maybe your last free day. Yeah. Because yeah, a jury might have something to say about that. Um, and here's the thing. The guy's airway sucks. 
and it needs addressing. So at first, frosting starts to have that verbal diarrhea of saying things like, you know, okay, uh, so, uh, okay, okay, so, uh, respirations, not good, uh, okay, so, uh, airway, that's needed, uh, okay, uh, but to get that, we need to get an IV, uh, so, okay, um, <clears throat> which yeah, I, I sympathize. And then yeah. suddenly Eggs goes, hey, there's trauma shears in the kit. Uh, and frosting kind of takes that to mean like eggs is suggesting like exposure is the next step. And frosting kind of starts to grab that because we've talked about this before. When there's chaos but no leader, people will take yeah. any kind of leadership, whether it's wrong or right. Um, but frosting then turns to eggs and sugar and does what I'm going to say is an admirable job of working with what you have. And frosting says this, says, hey, until we get more people, I'm going to prioritize that airway and bag him. He's not breathing adequately enough. And then Egg says, well, shouldn't we suction first? And then Frosting says, yeah, but do you have suction here? And then Eggs thinks for half a second, probably realizing, oh, good point. And then says, I'll call for it. Eggs radios asking for nice. full kits to be brought to the patient near the overturned truck. Frosting then asks Eggs to grab some vital signs uh, while Frosting bags the patient without oxygen as no tank is available. Uh, frosting does place an OPA and notes that there is no gag reflex. So before we move on though, Spence, really quick, what are your thoughts on bagging with out suctioning and there's like a mouthful of blood i've got an opinion Ooh. but i'm curious what you think oh man um yeah no that's uh yeah that's not a good situation um what about this uh I, I maybe apply like a you know the poor man's suction which <laughs> i mean to essentially be like uh you guys log roll the patient with the providers you have controlling for c-spine oh gravity suction uh, okay just like yeah exactly and like turn them to like let the blood drain out of their mouth thereby clearing the airway um, I, well, you wait for like the real section to come and you know, maybe you can BVM through that or something. I don't. I, I, yeah. Um, yeah. My opinion kind of sits with you, Spence, on that. Like, I understand not wanting to bag blood into the patient's lungs because that's essentially aspiration that can cause a lot of problems down the road that, that are worth thinking about. Um, but the problem is this patient to me so far, I mean, clearly head injured. You got a swollen face yeah. on the left side. You've got blood coming out. Uh, I think I would rather perform like a log roll tilt, get that blood out. Like you were saying, the gravity section or essentially recovery position, uh, and yeah. then bag, uh, then wait for a suction in, in what is very much a chaotic scene. So you really don't know when that section is going to get there. Um, and then do nothing for this guy's, uh, oxygenation. Um, Another thing, I would say even just placing the patient on their side, provided you're giving C-spine support, because this patient needs C-spine support. Um, yeah. Even if you're not going to beg, log roll them onto their side with C-spine support, so that way blood is not falling back into their airway, and that will allow whatever little respiratory drive this guy has to work a little bit better. So I think, I think there are some options other than just straight begging. Um, but... Kind of unfortunately, but I would say better than nothing. Begging just seems to happen in the supine position. They don't roll them. Right. Uh, but frosting bags and frosting isn't really sure if good ventilation or oxygenation actually occurs, even though the bagging is occurring. Hmm. Uh, all frosting knows is that they're trying their best while a crowd of people witness and record every action that's occurring. Uh, frosting still has no idea what has actually happened here, 
because it's a clusterfuck of a scene. If there are other patients, like, for example, where is the driver of this vehicle? Bystanders said this guy was hit, but where's the driver of the vehicle? And it feels yeah. like this whole scene is taking an eternity. Like they're just sitting there being recorded and everything is taking forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably only been like 30 seconds, but yeah, right. that's true. Because <laughs> of the stress induced time dilation. It but, feels like three yeah. days. <laughs> feels like, like uh, it is so true in EMS. You can feel like you pulled a 72 inside of a 12 hour shift. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, with no other interventions really available that frosting can, you know, perform, they feel essentially stuck in kind of that ruthless EMS like purgatory. So the vital signs by eggs come back as this, uh, blood pressure, <laughs> 167, <laughs> an odd number <laughs> You're fucking over <laughs> palp. Yeah. The eggs just fucking made up. Uh, but anyway. I'm kidding. Nice. Uh, pulse comes back as 58 and saturations are 81%. Uh, after oh. eggs, re- yeah, it's not great. After eggs reads the vital signs off, uh, frosting hears the sound of kits hitting the pavement behind them, a sound almost as sweet as the sight of his partner, Flower, arriving as well. So Flower begins to ask to be brought up to speed on this chaotic mess of a patient when another firefighter, the officer from that first engine, interrupts. Officer Sand tells Flower that they need Flower elsewhere to help finish triaging. And Flower just says, nope. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Wow. And Sand responds with, nope. You can't just nope. There were initial reports of multiple patients, and I cannot commit my resources to just one until I know that that isn't true. Flower says, there's only one patient. It's this one. If you still want help, you have another engine and another ambulance. Frosting feels that they are obviously observing the end of a much longer conversation that happened before between Flower and Sand. And perhaps Flower has discovered exactly what the hell happened. Uh, and Frosting uh-huh. sure as fuck is curious. Uh, this yeah, discussion no, between he, him and me both. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so this discussion about like where everyone should be between sand and flower begins to escalate in front of like bystanders, the patient, police, other firefighters, and Sand is becoming agitated with Flower. We do not know the exact word stated, but Flower essentially turns his back to Sand and then like ask about the patient. The only thing that Frosting wants to say to Flower is this. Please tell me what is going on here. And I'm sure all of you want to know that as well. But instead, Frosting says... Uh, looks like head trauma, sonorous respirations, unresponsive with no gag reflex, uh, systolic blood pressures in the 160s, heart rates in the 50s, oxygen saturations, 80s, bagging with an OPA, no oxygen, uh, but I don't think this is going well, and they need to be suctioned. So flower, and perhaps this is inappropriately timed, but flower quickly relays back what has actually happened in this place, oh, in this call. Yeah. Uh, so the patient they are working on was walking up and down the street, mumbling to themselves and barking at people. That's a quote. Uh, okay. Eventually, this caught the attention of some of the store owners uh, on the strip mall who called the police. And when the police arrived, the patient saw them and immediately bolted out into the road and got struck by the truck. 
So, uh, yes, but the truck made a very sharp turn to avoid hitting the patient, and this caused the truck to roll onto its top. Uh, So, the driver of the vehicle self-extricated and was talking to the police, but that little tidbit was not communicated to EMS or the fire department, and eventually EMS or the fire department, somebody, found that person, and that person was like, hey, I'm not injured. Uh, No one else was hit by the vehicle or was in the vehicle. Gotcha. So, all right. So, Spencer, you are now Flower. You have walked into this poorly bagged patient, and you just received that report. What are your next steps? Ooh. um, Yeah, I mean, I I think airway and breathing sort of take precedence at this point. You know, if the patient's saturations are 81% and he's Mm -hmm. got a head injury, that's that's no bueno. So, um, yeah, we need – I think we need to suction. We need to – get oxygen attached to the bbm yeah and uh yeah let's uh, fix that yeah so you're gonna start with basically some bls interventions cool all right i'm with it yeah uh you probably need some more people too i would say that'd be the next thing is if you can't get some more people but it sounds like that might are, be- are, are, will there are there going to be more people allowed to me because it sounds like officer sand is uh, <laughs> sandbagging all that shit oh, oh look at you yeah uh, well, hey, here's what actually ends up happening. So Flower attaches the oxygen to the bag valve mask and readies the suction unit with a Yankauer tip and suctions the airway. Uh, sand remains right there, uh, kind of standing over the scene. They aren't really saying anything, but mostly just appear to be observing. The tension between Flower and Sand is kind of distracting almost, according to um, Frosting. I almost said fluoride. Yeah. I almost said according to fluoride. <laughs> anyway, according to Frosting. Uh, especially as Flower says, hey, we need to RSI this patient. I need more hands. I'm not going to go off on my RSI versus DSI rant that I normally do. Uh, but for those yeah. curious, RSI stands for rapid sequence intubation and commonly means uh, it's a procedure where we give drugs that both paralyze and sedate the patient so we can put a tube into their trachea. And it requires some hands to do. So Flower's like, hey, give me more hands. Sand then turns and talks on the radio and another fire crew walks over. It's the fire crew from that second fire engine that's on the south end. Uh, But Sand kind of puts a hand up like, whoa, stop short here. And stops them just short of the scene and has a conversation with the officer and that crew. Frosting does not know what the conversation is. They could not hear it. But the officer gives some kind of reply. Uh, The officer from the second engine, by the way replies to whatever Stan said with what they refer to as explainy hands, which I think we know what that means. Like you're trying to like explain mm. things uh, to sand yeah. sand then kind of shakes her head and walks over to the sidewalk and the officer from the second in engine crew approaches frosting. And we're going to call this new officer, officer Baker and officer Baker is okay. a paramedic. Baker sees flour, eggs, sugar, and frosting and adds in butter, baking soda, and vanilla. They're all EMT basics. Flower gives Baker the rundown of the call so far, and Baker steps into the PIC role. Baker states that they need to oxygenate, which, by the way, fucking yes. I have talked about this before in this show. You do not need to intubate. You do not need to place a king airway. You do not need to bag. You need to oxygenate and whatever one of those tools whether it's a king or an eye gel or a tube can do that is your correct tool oxygenation is the goal not placing a tube but a tube may help so yeah 
rant over. I won't go into it. Anyway. I love it, though. I'm with you. So, Baker reassigns eggs and sugar to take over the BVM, the back valve mask, and crank the oxygen up to 25 and add a PEEP valve, positive end expiratory pressure is what that stands for. It helps keep the alveoli open between breaths so they don't collapse again. Helps with oxygenation. Frosting does not recall the setting of the PEEP valve, by the way, uh, but five is a pretty typical number to start with. Uh, Baker places frosting on obtaining IV access and tells Flower to set up to intubate. Butter is tasked with placing the patient on the monitor, uh, which is going to be SAO2. They're, they have the SAO2 monitor on there from the triage kit, but it's like one of those shitty little finger ones that just has a display yeah. on the finger and no pleth wave. Um, but so they put him on the uh, cardiac monitors SAO2, which has a pleth wave, uh, the ECG, so they can see a heart rhythm and the blood pressure cuff. While baking soda and vanilla uh, get tasked with exposing the patient before grabbing a long backboard and a C collar. After exposing the patient, Baker has vanilla complete head to toe and listen to lung sounds, which are reported as bilaterally diminished, but equal. Abrasions okay. are noted on both arms and there's some bruising to the left hip. Pupils are unequal. I don't know which pupil was bigger or smaller, but they are reported as unequal. So fair enough. It seems like they're pre-oxygenating. They're setting up to intubate. Uh, Spence, what are some predictions on how this intubation attempt is going to go? Do you have any? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a piece of cake. <laughs> oh, oh, look at you! Because I'm seeing what you've I'm seeing what you've put together here. Mm -hmm. um, hey, can I can I circle back real quick? Yeah. to something sure. earlier. Um, I I like that they did their assessment. I think personally, I would have probably done like the peep for oxygenation after I'd done the chest assessment, just in case like lung sounds aren't equal and we're worried about like a tension pneumothorax That's or good you know, something along those lines. And I know like the vitals don't really support it, but I, I would still have preferred lung sounds to have been listened to. That's, this is a nitpicky item, but yeah, just, I mean, you know, out of an abundance of caution. But it's a good point. There are definitely some protocols out there because the problem with peep is that if you have a pneumothorax, um, there are some opinions out there that peep can worsen a pneumothorax and there are protocols out there as well that will say, Hey, like don't apply peep if you suspect a pneumothorax. And the only way you can know that there's a pneumothorax is if you do a chest assessment. No, good point, man. Good catch. Um, but you are right. It does go well. So SATs prior to innovation were 95%, you know, after all okay. that oxygenation work they did. Uh, frosting obtained IV access with a big old 16 gauge and a left, Jesus. Uh, yeah, and a left AC. Uh, and frosting went ahead and prepared succinylcholine and atomidate. Succinylcholine, by the way, is a paralytic. Atomidate is a sedative. Uh, so, uh, those meds do what they do. In other words, succinylcholine causes the patient, uh, to fasciculate, which is a, some minor like tremors. Uh, and causes their jaw to go slack so they can be innovated, uh, and atomidate, you know, hopefully provide sedation. Um, but yeah, and then flour made the first intubation attempt. So the first intubation attempt was actually a miss, and the saturations during this intubation attempt dropped back to about the high 80s. Uh, but flour Ooh. recognized that. Yeah. Uh, but flour recognized that, uh, and also recognized that more suctioning was needed and that they should have used a bougie. You and I have talked about using mm. bougie so mm -hmm. many times. Uh, they went ahead and backed out with their allergoscope. And had the patient bagged back up to about the mid-90s, right around 95% again. They briefly suctioned, and then they used the bougie on their next attempt. And guess what? Patient is now intubated. 
Nice, nice, nice. Hey, uh, Chris, real quick, how long did they bag um, before uh, like each intubation attempt? It yeah. seems like the sats dropped off pretty quick. No, that, that solid observation. So I asked the same question. They essentially did the intubation attempt immediately after the saturations hit 95%. Uh, okay, so um, yeah, so real quick, if you're listening, you want to continue to bag the patient after you've achieved that goal um, of, you know, like greater than 95 or greater than 94 for at, just at least like three minutes or so. And, and the reason is, is that we want to just we want to denitrogenate the air in the lungs. Even if you're at 100 percent saturation of the blood, there is because this is a valuable step because it allows the blood to keep picking up oxygen as it circulates through the lungs, even if there's no ventilation occurring. You know, remember, air is typically only 21 percent oxygen and the rest of that with like a without the small caveat of like that like 0.1 that's like oh, fucking yeah. carbon dioxide or the whatever is, the rest of it is nitrogen <laughs> so if we can change that ratio in the lungs then our intubation attempts have a significantly decreased impact on their spo2 solid point man uh, so the patient is then placed in a C collar. Flower then guides the log rolling of the patient onto the spine board because flower, after all, is at the head of this intubated and C spine patient. By the way, that's how you log roll a patient. Always have the head count, even if they're not intubated. And the reason being is that if the person holding the head isn't ready to log roll and you log roll, then you essentially end up twisting this person's neck. Uh, it's worse <laughs> if they're also intubated because that can also dislodge the tube. So the person yep. at the head counts. So they are definitely, you know, the person going on time. So yeah. that's why you do that. Uh, so, yeah, so that log roll is done. The patient's secured to the backboard after the back is checked and no additional injury is found. Uh, frosting is then asked by flower. Uh, you good? Uh, this is when frosting has another amazing realization. Flower was asking if frosting was good to take the patient while flower drives. So frosting would be in the back and essentially is going to run this call now. Frosting I, says, I, what? Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, dude, I remember. I remember those moments where you're <laughs> like, oh, oh, fuck. This is me. Shit. <laughs> I'm up now. It's, it's my turn to go on stage. Yeah. So flower says, yes. At the same time, realizing this is going to be their first serious call as PIC uh, in the back of an ambulance outside of their internship. They've had other serious calls, but it hasn't been their turn. They've just lucked out for a few months. Uh, so they feel that, hey, you know what? The hard shit's done. They've been intubated. This is really my call to fuck up at this point. <laughs> what could possibly get worse? Oh, God, well, Jesus, <laughs> don't don't ask that don't question. Say that shit. Uh, <laughs> but hey, Spencer, what would you like to accomplish? Like if this was you. All right. We're loading into the back of the ambulance at this point. Uh, what would you like to get accomplished between the scene and the emergency room? Um, God, I, you know, I, I kind of agree. A, a lot of this stuff is a lot of the hard work is done. Um, I think I, I, you know, I'd probably try and put on like a pelvic binder. Um, just because it's a, you know, multi-system trauma where Absolutely we're not sure point. what's going on. So um, I'll interject really quick. Uh, the yeah. patient had bruising on their hip and they're unresponsive. I think a pelvic binder should have been thrown onto the backboard. And the moment they rolled them onto the backboard, apply the pelvic binder and then put spider straps over the top of that. Absolutely. That's, that's my a, opinion. That's a, that's a better move than trying yeah. to like do it after the fact. Yeah, um, it's a bitch to do after the fact. <laughs> Dude, it super is. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, maybe another IV, um, I, yeah, I, and just, you know, recheck vitals, 
Exactly. Q5. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, so uh, speaking of that, uh, so their patient is loaded and they start towards the ER and it's about a 12 minute drive. Vanilla is the only rider that comes along with frosting. Now, I'll say this. I would have preferred an additional rider giving this. Um, but a, according to frosting, to get one rider from this fire department is pretty fucking amazing. So they were going to push their luck. So, yeah. uh, the very first thing Vanilla does is start taking a second set of vials, which is great, uh, while Frosting decides to do a reassessment of the tube placement, which I think is appropriate. You should be reassessing super, the tube, yeah. yeah, especially after each move. Uh, the repeated vial signs uh, are this. So, the respiratory rate is uh, currently being controlled via BBM. Uh, the SpO2 is 100%. Uh, Excellent. End tidal CO2 is 41. Love uh, that they're using end tidal. Yep. Oh, so do I. Uh, blood pressure is 171 over 105 and heart rate mm-hmm. is 51. Uh, ECG comes back as sinus braiding without ectopy. So Spence, what do you think of those vitals? And is there anything else you want to know or anything else you want to do? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think those vitals kind of confirm what I was suspecting, mm-hmm. um, which is that you know there's a head injury going on and uh cool yeah all right yeah so uh i love this call uh frosting then says well i could check a cbg they're altered after all uh vanilla laughs and says yeah maybe got the sugar knocked out of him oh fuck (laughs) no god fuck you god damn it god fucking damn it dude this is the sole reason i I picked this call to do uh so frosting smiles but then decides you know what this should still get one um that and the second iv so frosting hands the cpg kit to vanilla uh and after starting an 18 gauge in the right arm they then hand the catheter over to Vanilla saying, hey, might as well check in anyways. Vanilla is like, all right, and uses the pen trick, which, by the way, the pen trick is where you just push on the, once you start an IV, part of it comes back, part of the needle, I guess. That's not the needle, but it's the apparatus that guides the needle, comes out, and it has a little bit of blood in it. And you can use a pen to push the blood out. And they push the blood out and feed it to the CPG monitor. And... uh the monitor, it's, no, it's not. The monitor reads low, below 20. Uh, and for our millimoles per uh, liter, friends listening, that is going to be less than 1.1 millimole. And by the way, if you want to convert, just take, uh, so if you have the US, which is deciliters per milliliter, uh, just divide that number by 18, and that gives you your, your millimoles. So oh, that's clutch. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so vanilla says, can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> and Frosting then snags a second CBG kit from their medical kit and hands it to Vanilla, uh, who uses a lancet on a finger instead of the IV catheter, because sure, that's the problem. And it says, again, low 20. Low Fuck below 20. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> Frosting starts to grab the D50 uh, as several things race through their mind. Uh, Frosting starts to think like, do I need to innovate in the first place? Uh, was the whole trauma a red herring? Is this really just a low CBG call and the trauma is just a side effect? Uh, Spencer, how do you feel about this? Like, wh- where are you at right now? Oh, you know how I feel about this. This is bullshit. <laughs> but uh, t- I th- what I think is, I totally understand the doubt here, um, but I think the physical findings on the patient make it really likely that this is trauma related. But I mean, like, 
although fucking blood sugar doesn't help. No, so. it doesn't. Uh, and here's the thing. And frosting, frosting is on the same page as you are. Um, you know, they finally come to their senses like, no, like this is head trauma. Um, but they are okay. still really concerned about something else. How do I treat this hypoglycemia in the system that frosting works in? They have one tool in their toolbox to treat adults with hypoglycemia. And that's this push an amp, a full amp of D50, which is 25 grams of dextrose in 50 milliliters of water. So it's 50%. Yeah. Dextrose. However, frosting is concerned about raising the CBG. <clears throat> However, frosting is concerned about raising the blood glucose of a patient who very likely has a head bleed and frosting hesitates. Frosting feels that they shouldn't push it, but they yell up the flower who feels they should just push it. Hmm. So, Frosting decides to that I'm not going to feed you just yet, baby birds. I am going to tell you this. Aww. I know. The rest of the transport is uneventful, and the patient makes it to the ER and eventually the trauma ICU. Unfortunately, in the coming days, it is determined that the patient is unlikely to recover from the severe head trauma they sustained, and the family opted to take the patient off of life support, allowing the patient to expire shortly thereafter. Jesus. Oh, man. Yep. That, all right. That, this is a good call. So let's, let's do a quick summary. First off, you're a dick for not, uh, <laughs> for not telling us what they did. And, yep. and also for, you know why. Um, so, <laughs> for selecting a CBG call in the first place. God damn it. All right. So <laughs> make sure, let me make sure I'm correct here. So essentially what we have here is we have a, uh, we have two medics, Flower and um, Frosting, who arrive on a scene that's just basically fucking absolute chaos. There's yeah. an overturned vehicle. There's people everywhere videotaping everything. And it's it's really hard. Like, they don't know who really is, like, a patient or who isn't, um, except for, like, there's one guy on the ground. Uh, you know, one patient who essentially might be one of many is barely attended to by two firefighters and one ambulance paramedic. Well, the other ambulance paramedic and the fire officer are making certain there's no other patients and like duking it out. <laughs> All right. the while this patient is bleeding from this face holes and he's getting bagged poorly by frosting. Um, and somewhere in all this flower who is not near the patient determines that this is the only patient while sand, uh, insists that flower should help them continue the search. And so anyway, flower tells sand to pound sand because if they want help, they should use like some of the other available resources that are there, like the other engine. Um, speaking of Baker, the second in fire officer essentially replaces sand and uses Everybody, frosting, eggs, flour, baking soda, vanilla, and sugar. And to butter. Make a well, and butter. And to make a well-oxygenated cake out of this patient. Um, but as it turns out, Baker might have just been a little light on the sugar because uh, our patient didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> True. But uh, because you've decided to dangle this, uh, it tease us with this. Uh, we don't know what Frosting decided to do yet in terms of treating that or not treating it because, well, you, my friend, are an asshole. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also the patient dies. So yeah, there's, there's that. 
<laughs> there's that. Uh, by the way, though, I think it's been established that people need to be heavily incentivized to listen to me. Uh, so I'm going to drag this out as long as I can. Uh, but yes, <laughs> we do have a few lessons to talk about here. We have some scene management that we are going to touch on, but we also have a good example of what a strong PIC can bring. But let's start with that crossroads that Frosting found themselves in regarding the CBG. So, Spencer, before I tell everyone if it was administered or not, and if doing so or not doing it would play a role in the patient's outcome. What do you think of this crossroad with the CBG? What would you have done? Um, yeah, so I'm pretty sure, uh, that, uh, a low CBG in a head injured patient is probably not good. Mm -hmm. Um, then should be treated. Um, but I also, I, I get the hesitation because I don't want to give too much. Um, because I, I also think that, that there's harm in that. Um, I, yeah, and I, a full amp of D50 can, can go a long way. I, what about like, I, you know, I might approach like a half an amp or okay. like a quarter of an amp and, and then just kind of checking and seeing where we're at. Like, let's get mm -hmm. it to a normal level. Yeah. Um, instead of like giving the whole thing. Um, Do you think frosting is right in thinking that this patient has a head bleed? Um, I mean, I, I think both you and I agree that the patient definitely has a head bleed, but like, what are some things that you see that have been like, look, this is definitely a head bleed, not just hypoglycemia. Oh yeah. No, I think that's totally fair to, to wonder about. Um, and you know, and I could, I could totally see myself going like, Oh fuck, I miss this, which I did in, in this scenario <laughs> and then going like, Oh God, like have I done all this stuff on a patient who didn't need it? Um, but like after that stress subsides, like the reality is, is like the, the patient probably is head injured and hypoglycemic. Um, it, you know, like what we're seeing here is I think, uh, likely like, a Cushing's reflex okay. um, with the mechanism of injury. Like, so we have a patient with clear head trauma that was, you know, inflicted by a moving vehicle. He had a, he, like he had physical assessment signs, you know, he had like blood in his face holes. He had the unequal pupils. Um, and, you know, like, and then let's talk about those vitals. Uh, Cushing's triad is essentially indicated by the presence of these three findings. Thus a triad. Uh, we have uh, an elevated blood pressure a bradycardic heart rate and irregular respirations. Um, and Chris, you did, the, did you say if the regular respirations were irregular? Um, um, I don't remember. So frosting said that they were decently certain that they were, but couldn't remember like the specific pattern. Cause there are some patterns of irregularity, right? Like there's biots breathing, there's Coos malls, there's Shane Stokes, those kind of things, but they couldn't remember really which one yeah. to fit in. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And so like, but we have a patient who certainly had an elevated blood pressure and a lower heart rate. And the Cushing's triad is indicative of increased intracranial pressure. Um, essentially what's happening is like as the brain's swelling, as that blood is, you know, is bleeding into that space, the brain will actually begin to like start to push out because there isn't enough room for more blood. You know, there's only so much room in your skull and you've got blood You've got brain and you've got cerebral spinal fluid. Well, if you increase the blood, then the brain is going to actually start to be shifted uh, in directions that it's not really supposed to go, such as like down towards the bottom <laughs> of the skull where there's a giant hole where like all your brain stem and stuff is. Ooh, pop quiz. And so, Do you know the name of that hole? It's the foramen magnum. Fuck yeah. 
All right. Boom. Cool. I Amen. remembered it from an episode you did earlier. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Chris, my Lord and Savior. Um, so essentially what happened is like as pressure on that brain, there's a bunch of pressure on that brain stem as it's pushed through the hole at the bottom of that skull. And this causes a lot of things to happen, like your respirations become erratic. The pressure on that vagus nerve can cause your heart rate to slow down. And then your blood pressure will rise because the of the pressure on the brain itself causes your body to go like, oh, fuck, I'm not getting enough blood. So your vasculature essentially tries to constrict to drive that pressure up. Um, it's really bad. Yeah. Well, perfect. That's a perfect breakdown. So, yeah. So I, I guess I would say, and I think you and I agree here, that frosting is definitely warranted in believing that the patient has increased intracranial pressure. Um, and there are definitely some competing values here regarding the blood sugar. So we did quite a bit of research. Well, I did quite a bit of research for this. Spencer did jack shit um, for I this did. one. I'm on vacation. Yeah, very true. And in all fairness, Spencer does most of the research for most of the shows, so I should probably shut the fuck up. <laughs> but um, I did do a bit of research on this one and found that hyperglycemia, as well as hypoglycemia, by the way, can be detrimental to the patient and is associated with poor patient outcomes. So in October of 2016, a review published by OncoTarget titled Traumatic Brain Injury and Hyperglycemia, a Potentially Modifiable Risk Factor, uh, they state that in general, the damage induced by traumatic brain injury is divided into two types. You have primary and secondary brain injuries. Primary injury is initiated by a physical insult to the head, resulting in compression and shearing of adjacent tissues with or without loss of consciousness. Secondary injury is a complex process that occurs in the hours, that's important, and days following primary injury, which encompasses cranial and systemic complications. Among these secondary complications, hyperglycemia, both peat glucose and persistent hypoglycemia in traumatic brain injury patients is one of the most common and correlates with the severity of injury and clinical outcome. So remember that peaked glucose makes a makes a difference here. Uh, furthermore, the link between hyperglycemia and poor prognosis is also observed in ischemic stroke, subarachnoid hemorrhage, and intracerebral hemorrhage, uh, which this patient definitely almost definitely has at least you know intracerebral or subarachnoid hemorrhages. Uh, yeah. um, importantly. As treatments for hyperglycemia become available, blood glucose control has attracted significant attention and is a promising intervention for reducing complications of traumatic brain injury. Previous studies have demonstrated that hyperglycemia plays a causative role in promoting poor clinical outcomes and TBI. I want to point out really quick, the use of the word causative is actually really important because you have correlations. Correlations basically mean, hey, look, these two things seem to correlate, but we don't know why. When you say something, for example, my favorite example is this, is that lemon sales in New Jersey correlated to traffic accidents on a specific highway. They actually had nothing to do with each other, but it just so happened that as lemon sales rose, so did these traffic accidents. It was just a coincidence, but that's a positive correlation. Yeah. Causative role means that we believe, or we have enough evidence to believe that the lemon sales are actually causing these accidents, or in this case, that the hyperglycemia is actually causing poor patient outcomes. Uh, so 
What qualifies as too high if you're wondering for a specific number? Uh, sadly, I don't have that for you. So there hasn't been a ton of studies specifically done on where that line exactly is. What the review does state is that acutely high levels of blood glucose greater than 200 strongly correlates with the increasing rate of herniation. It also, however, states that hypoglycemia results in worse neurological outcomes as well. So not great. Gotcha. So I think frosting was right to be concerned. So according to that review, it is stated that secondary injuries occur within hours and days after the injury, after the initial primary injury, and that peaked as well as sustained hyperglycemia correlates to poor outcomes. So short-term peaked blood glucoses are exactly what frosting was concerned about. And I, I agree. I feel that frosting was right. I think that what I would have done here is I would have mixed D10. And the way you mix D10 is you take an amp of D50 uh, and you take a 500cc bag of saline and you draw out 50ccs and then you push the amp into that bag. And that gives you a 10% dextrose mix. Uh, and what I would do is I would uh, spike that, I would hang it, and I would check the uh, blood glucose every so often, like maybe every two minutes. And uh, Or the other thing I would do is maybe give half the amp, wait a few minutes, and then recheck the blood glucose after that. Uh, you know, Spence, you and I have both seen patients that go from a low reading on the monitor to almost like the 300s off of a single amp of D50. Uh, so I would definitely not push that whole thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think it can really depend. You know, some people come up to a pretty reasonable level after you know, like a, a whole sure. amp of D fifty. Some do, yeah. But I, but yeah, man, I, I think some people can spike pretty significantly. Um, real quick, let's kind of touch on their protocols here. Is D fifty really the only option that this agency had? Uh, yeah. So, um, for pediatrics, they can mix D10 in the field and titrate to effect, but their dope protocol simply just says push one amp of D50. That's it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that, uh, that sort of blows. Um, cause <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess like it, this is a situation where I could just sort of, I, I see myself varying from the protocols. I think, you know, for the most part, like we really try and honor the protocols that are as they're written, you know, like a doctor or a team of doctors or whoever has like thought out method, presumably thought out methodically, like how they want us to uh, not just making shit in, up in a bar somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Like, all right, then they're going to do then they're going to do this. Uh, <laughs> dude, it makes no sense. I know, but dude, they do anything I write down. Watch. Watch. Yeah. Watch. Um, but, like, there's also situations where, like, you can't write a protocol for every situation. Right. I guess is the, the summary of this. And so, like, there are moments where y your protocol will say one thing, and you'll be like, yeah, but in this situation, the protocol isn't correct. And I... I think we need to deviate from that to do the most right for the patient, you know? Um, so I hope, I feel that the, my hope here is that frosting will take the low risk and maybe just like split the difference and go, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give half the amp of D 50 or, it, you know, it, if, I don't know if they had like a smaller line, I totally would be on board with the, like 
making D10. Because yeah. I've definitely had patients where, you know, it's like, oh, all we have is a 24 in that tiny little vein on the medial wrist. Right. Um, and, they're, and they're hypoglycemic. And I'm like holding this big, thick syrup fucking yeah. amp of D50. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's going to work. It's like pushing um, concrete through a straw. Like, it's just not. Yeah, it's just not good. Um, and in that situation, you know, like, we just threw it into a saline bag. And then we just dripped it in. And in fact, we, by the time we got it in, we'd only gotten like a hundred mils in and the patient was up to, you know, above normal, j- yeah. just barely above normal. Um, so that, that ended up working out. Um, right. so I think that's what I'm hoping that they're going to do in this situation. Um, yeah. and I can't, I just don't see, like, if you broke from protocol, from protocol, if you broke from protocol, I just don't. I can't imagine a physician getting angry and being like, you gave half an amp of D50 and got them to the correct blood sugar without giving more. You're fired. Like, I just don't see that happening. You know what I mean? Turn in your badge and gun. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, Yeah, I just, yeah, I really don't see that happening. Yeah. Okay. So, dude, spill it. Spill what? Dude, come on. (laughs) I don't, yeah, what do you want to, yeah, all right. Um, So, the CBG, what did he do about it? Uh, He grabbed the amp and he pushed the entire thing, and uh, guess what it brought a CBG to? Oh, fuck. I don't know what. It it came up to 140. It was fine. It had nothing to do with the patient's outcome. But it's still a good point to bring up. Okay. (laughs) But, (laughs) But, yeah. I can see why you teased it out till the end. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because if I dropped it at the beginning, people would have turned it off by now. All right. So a couple other lessons before we wrap this up. Uh, One of the things that I want to point out, this is another great example of where having that PIC, having someone that says, I'm the PIC, this is what's going to happen and does nothing but assign roles is absolutely valuable. Because here's what I want to point out. This wasn't necessarily a paramedic heavy scene. You had three paramedics total, right? You had Frosting, Flower, and Baker. Baker ended up being the PIC kind of at the end from the fire department, even though they didn't maintain patient care the whole way through. Baker was there. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, the paramedics need to be there to do paramedic you know, treatments and that kind of stuff. No, in this case, Baker took the role of PIC and all Baker did was assign roles. That's it. Because Spencer and I have talked about this time and time again. If you don't assign roles, if you don't tell people what they need to do, they'll find something to do because we're all good natured responders and we all want to be, you know, helpful. So we will do something. Uh, but the problem yeah. is we don't necessarily communicate well what we're doing and things can just get chaotic early on. Frosting did something that I would call sort of an example of not being great PIC. And that was when flower arrived frosting basically read off some vitals to flower by saying like, Hey, sats are in the eighties. This is this. So frosting painted a poor picture of the patient to flower, um, which is kind of a maneuver that a lot of people do when they want something to happen, but they don't really want to step in that leadership role. It's kind of like saying like, Hey, look, um, you know, the uh, the frosting here is strawberry, you know, and the customer really wanted blueberry frosting without saying, hey, we need to make a new cake with blueberry frosting. And that's kind of yeah. where that was kind of going. There wasn't really a PIC. And even when flour kind of got in, flour, I think, 
part of Flower's issue with not necessarily taking PIC was that Flower was still kind of angry with Sand, and that can kind of weigh down a scene. And so Flower did some of the more necessary things, like attaching oxygen and getting suction ready, but Flower ended up involving themselves in interventions, and it gets hard to be a PIC from that perspective. Spence, you and I have talked about this. It's like dunking your head underwater. I'm sure the game has now evolved where someone should be taking a drink somewhere, now that I've said that. Um, But anyway, <laughs> There's the EMS 2020 drinking game. Uh, follow us on social media to um, essentially kill yourself with alcohol. Um, but <laughs> yep, please don't. By the way, we don't advise drinking uh, in excess. So um, <laughs> I was going to say, wow, <laughs> <laughs> since when? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> since now. Uh, but anyway, so. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad you clarified in excess. That's the key piece. Yeah, there. It, yeah. It, yeah, in excess. I didn't say don't drink. I just said, you know, don't drink in excess. And in excess is between you and your doctor um, and the cop. It's about to pull you over. Anyway, moving on. Um, so, yeah, if you get if you dunk your head underwater to do an intervention, you kind of lose track of what's going on above water, above water being the rest of your scene. And then all of a sudden you pop your head back up. It's like, all right, man, what happened? Because the only thing you could focus on while you're underwater was breathing. Or in this case, the only thing you could focus on while you're doing an intervention is the intervention. Uh, so Baker kind of steps in, steps back. Baker does not perform a single intervention themselves and just assigns roles. And that is kind of where the, the, the call really took off and started moving yeah. along. So it, I, I won't tell you how happy it made me when he assigned um, – frosting to do the was it frosting or flower who did the uh the intubation uh flower did the intubation frosting got yeah. iv access yeah when he went either way he assigned somebody who was not him to intubate and yes. i was like this this guy's a stud all right awesome <laughs> exactly this is kind of tempting to want to do the cool thing right like you walk in yeah. on scene you're like i want to do the two but no he gave it to somebody else yeah. that was solid work uh so that's that's the thing there i I'm so glad that the PIC ended ended up working out. It would have been better if it happened sooner. But really, the main thing that stopped it from happening sooner is kind of our next point, and that is scene control. So this scene was absolutely nuts. Scene management can be really, really hard. But a lot of times when we go in there and we're patient-minded, and most of this podcast is generally medically focused and focused on the individual patient. That's what most of this podcast is. So we're going to divert a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about scene management. And I will tell you this, if you have a chaotic scene, a chaotic scene that is not well managed is actually really bad for the individual patient. So we do have to talk about that a little bit in this call, because that did lead to what I would say ended up being a delay in patient care. Um, When they initially arrived, you had patients walking in and out of your scene. You had Sand, who I am going to guess that Sand probably got a little bit hyped up based on the dispatch information that came in as possibly multiple patients. And then you walk into a scene. You've got like what? An upside down truck. You have cops everywhere, oddly, because you don't know the full story yet. And you have patients, not patients, but you have bystanders who are walking in and out of the scene. So the very first step is, you know what? Clear your scene. Move people. You have loudspeakers. A lot of people like to start with triage in patients like this. Um, but when you start with triage, it 
it, it kind of brings up the next problem of, well, now I got to find patience. And in this particular scene, you really need to clear the scene. So if you have loudspeakers and you have cops, do this. Use your loudspeakers and ask everyone to get onto the sidewalk. Get them out of your scene. Because here's a good thing. If people can follow that instruction, they're probably not injured. And if they are injured, they're probably agreeing. They immediately identify themselves as what? Walking wounded, which when you're doing triage, you're taught that walking wounded people are green. So even if they are injured, they're walking wounded and they're green and you don't have to worry about them. And if they're not injured, you definitely don't have to worry about them. Second step is, hey, you've got police and other firefighters. Simply walk through the scene and anybody who is on two feet, ask them to move over to the sidewalk if they didn't listen to your loudspeaker in the first place. Anyone who's left over is your patient. And in this case, that would have really narrowed it down. Now, I'm painting a pretty rosy picture of public compliance. That can definitely be rough sometimes. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But in this case, that wasn't attempted on the scene. And it really could have helped narrow things down. I understand San's perspective of hearing about an MCI and not wanting to potentially abandon the patient because that is a lot of pressure on your shoulders when you're the fire officer on scene. When someone says, hey, this could be a mass casualty incident, you really don't want to leave anybody behind. And Sand was kind of left to like, hey, do I trust the bystanders who say, hey, it was this one dude who ran out and got hit and there's no other patients? And do I, do I trust my job and my livelihood and someone else's life with that? Or do I keep looking? I, I understand that, that willingness to like not kind of pull away, but I do feel that by the time, yeah, I, I do feel that yeah. at some point, Sand probably should have been like, Hey, I got a better picture. This is what's going on. So, yeah. Yeah. No. And you know, it's complicated with the, the driver being missing too, um, and not being able to like, report right. like because like, yeah. yeah maybe the thought was like yeah there's more people in the truck or something yeah exactly but, and they didn't find the driver until later and he was talking to the yeah. police and he was uninjured and that would have been helpful for the police to be like yeah we got him here um yeah. so i do wonder about what kind of communication with the police was done when they arrived yeah so well apparently i'm going to call myself out twice uh in one episode uh because here's one where i conveniently went like okay we've got a patient who sounds like they might have been having some kind of, you know, like uh, possibly like a mental health crisis preceding the thing, preceding this event. And I did say at the beginning of this episode, like, hey, we need to be thinking, we need to be cognizant of like a medical event. But I was thinking the driver of the truck, to be honest. But like <laughs> again, like here, it's like, okay, the, we explained why the driver turned, but we... And then I was like, all right, well, we've got this guy who's walking out here, who's barking at people like maybe there's a mental health component and that's why he's in front of the truck. And I just did not do the the thing that I say we need to do because it's so easy to forget to do it, which is, hey, you found one explanation. Keep looking. Exactly. And I uh, fuck me. I was not curious. God damn. You well, oh. and I'll commend frosting on this because one of the things what I would have liked. And this is one conversation I did have with frosting. is I did ask him, like, hey, did you check the CBG? Because you were concerned that the patient appeared altered before the accident. And frosting was like, yeah, I would like to say that that's why I considered the CBG. But I literally considered the CBG because I had nothing else to do on a 12 minute ride. And that's the only reason I did it. Which, that's fair. I think that's why we do a lot of things. I mean, yeah, but, you know, like, sometimes, 
having a systematic approach to things uh, sometimes is like that's the that's the good way to do it. You're you're panning for gold, but you find the things exactly. So all right. So to sum it up, uh, remember that you will come across scenarios that your protocol book can't possibly cover. And it's these times that your education is going to come to the rescue. So in this case, the variance was pretty mild, you know, like, hey, push half the amp. Um, And we talked about that. But I also want to talk briefly about like, sometimes it can actually be more substantial variance needed. Like maybe you need to give an additional dose of of a medication, you know, for example, like extra Versed or something like that. And in those cases, OLMC is your friend. Contact online medical control. But remember, present your case to OLMC clinically and with confidence. In my experience, OLMC is less likely to give you the boilerplate. Hey, dude, just follow your protocols response if you do, because I have seen that happen. Someone calls and says, hey, we've given them, you know, three doses of Versed. They're still seizing. We want to give them a fourth dose. Can we have it? But if you say it with lots of stutters and over explanation, so like, yeah, follow your protocol and get them to the hospital as quick as you can. Uh, that's going to be their boilerplate response. So present it clinically and uh, and confidently, and you are much more likely to get a more cohesive answer. Uh, as always, we promote having a strong PIC. This was another great example of that. This call was dripping with chaos, and having a strong PIC walk in and simply assign task was what finally moved this call out of that EMS purgatory uh the scene management can be difficult especially with all the chaos going on if you have a crowd utilize police utilize loudspeakers uh, a simple if you're able to move to the sidewalk uh, can absolutely help have police and firefighters work their way through the street and ask everyone who is walking to move off of the street those left are injured yeah yeah and check a fucking blood sugar <laughs> check, check a check, fucking check. blood sugar all right there you go everyone again thank you so much for listening please follow us on social media it's ems 20 slash 20 on facebook we are at ems 2020 show on instagram email us your tales of success or tales of woe uh to ems 2020 podcast at gmail.com and yeah, we'll see if we can't review your call and have your call end up uh, on the show. With that, Spencer, take us out. Flour, eggs, sugar, butter, lobster. That's how oh my God. Raisins. One cup of raisins. Oh These are the secret ingredients. <laughs> to a cake bisque. <laughs> to a raisin bisque. <laughs> a raisin cake bisque. All right. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. We will be back again next Wednesday. Goodbye.